Louise McSharry on 2FM. So I'm going to assume you don't get into medicine with the idea of becoming a household name at the centre of your motivations. But that is what has happened to Deputy Chief Medical Officer Ronan Glynn, who joins me now. Hello, Ronan. Hi, good morning. So I presume you didn't think you were going to become a household name when you were training. Uh, no, definitely not. Um, in fact, public health was very far from from my thoughts when I was training. I went into medicine with the specific aim of going into surgery and uh, focusing on cancer surgery. And, and for a good few years, that's what I was training in and doing. And then um, back around 2013, 2014, I had kind of my uh, my epiphany moment or, or whatever. And I realized that actually I wanted to focus on a completely different area of medicine, which mm-hmm. is public health. Um but I think if there's one area of medicine, and I think we've seen this over the past year, if there's an area of medicine that no one really knows about or no one really hears about, it's public health. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's very, it's very unusual for us to be, as a specialty, for us to be, I suppose, in the public eye to the extent that we have been for the past year. Equally risk communication and explaining the science and medicine to the public um, and explaining to people how they keep themselves healthy mm. uh, over time is a key part of what we do. So it's not that we don't prepare to communicate uh, yeah. and that that's a key part of what we do. It's just that generally speaking, we're doing it in a in a far less frenzied environment, I suppose. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I have to ask, what has it been like? Because you are now, as I said, a household name. You are a recognisable person. Do people come up to you on the street? Uh, not not really, to be honest. I mean, you can see um, some flashes of, of recognition at times, I suppose, but, and I'm sure the mask helps. <laughs> uh, and the fact that I haven't really gone anywhere other than working home for the past year also helps. Mm. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I suppose it's not something you think about. Um, yeah. Like, I've done a couple of interviews recently where people have asked, you know, what's the year been like? And yeah. what was it like this time last year or, or in February or March 2020? The reality is that like at any given moment you're you're just you're just focused on what you're doing day to day and you're not really thinking about the wider implications of this. Like I've read very few newspapers over the past yeah. year simply because You don't like, have the, time. Well the last <laughs> thing you're gonna do when you're not in work is read newspapers or, or yeah. read media about COVID, for example. Yeah. Um so you tend to end up very focused on what you're doing day to day and and think less and less about what's going on in, 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 in the wider society, I suppose. Do you think when things kind of calm down and they are starting to, you'll have to take some time to process everything that's that's happened? I mean, I just, I, I've been watching you and, and Tony and, I mean, I mean, we're in first name terms apparently, um, <laughs> but I've been watching all of the people who are working at the heart of this and thinking, this is a, a huge thing for a person to experience. And, and, and I get what you're saying. What you're saying is you're professionals and you're, you know, obviously that has been the focus. But I can't, I have to, I feel like there, there's going to have to be some processing. Yeah, I think there's, there's no doubt about it. Um, someone, someone was asking me recently about, you know, my thoughts on January of this year. And I actually really wasn't able to speak about it. Which which suggests to me that in fact there's a lot there's a lot there to process. Yeah. But I think as a as a as a country we probably have a lot to process. I, I yeah. don't think there's there's anyone really in the country who 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 hasn't been affected negatively by the past twelve eighteen months. Yeah. Um, and clearly there are families and communities who've been affected in, in far worse ways yeah. than than the likes of of me. You know. Yeah. 
and there are businesses there's you know uh, i think people think sometimes that we 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 sit at our desks and we make recommendations and we're completely oblivious to what's going on in in the so-called real world yeah. i mean we have families we live in communities we have brothers and sisters uncles and aunts friends who are trying to run businesses their yeah. employees all of that weighs on yeah. us as people as well as professionals yeah yeah in short i think that the country will need to take some time yeah. over the coming months to to reflect but actually i think um i think there's a lot that we can reflect on positively as a country and mm. i know that social media amplifies the negative i know that uh the disputes and the controversies and the different scientific and expert opinions get amplified i know that the 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 views of one sector versus the public health view gets gets amplified but ultimately when we look back on all of this we won't remember any of that in my view i think what we'll remember is that four or five million people uh, came together and and uh and did everything we could to protect as many people as possible over yeah. the past year and i'm not talking about what we did as an effort i'm talking about what people did in their own lives yeah uh, and i think when we reflect on that as a country we will be enormously proud of of what we did as individuals yeah um and how we came through it as as a country that you know we didn't see a breakdown of societal cohesion uh i think solidarity and i know it's 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 like a tagline or a, an easy thing to throw out there but like it, it it is true that 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 our response has been defined by solidarity yeah and people have stuck with this despite all of the negative consequences for themselves over the past year yeah, I was I was going to ask you that actually about wh- how you felt we had done generally. So it's good to hear that you feel we've done well because I think you're right. I think the social media of it all can really um, drag people down very negative kind of pathways in terms of their perspective on anything. Um, and we've definitely seen that. And obviously, you know, we see some people have like, you know, with making absolutely ludicrous claims about the vaccine, for example, and, um, you know, conspiracy theorists and, and, you know, we see them having growing audiences. And I think that can strike a bit of kind of fear and panic in people who don't, you know, go with that line of thinking. But do you think that's really like a vocal minority or do you think that's something we need to be concerned about? I think we can say with certainty that it's a vocal minority. Um, Again, the problem with some forms of media is that they appear to give uh, balance. So it's very hard for you, for for myself or others to to look at various things that we see on media and figure out is this from a trusted source or not. Mm. I think what we've seen actually over the past year was a concerted effort by the anti-vax movement to prepare for this moment. Mm. Um, they presumed, I think, that we would have vaccines that were reasonably effective uh, and that they'd be able to pull pull at the seams of confidence around those reasonably effective vaccines. In fact, what we have now are really effective vaccines. Mm. We have we have vaccines that, you know, we genuinely couldn't have dreamed of having. Mm. Um, never mind for COVID. I mean, we're seeing levels of effectiveness that, that we haven't seen mm. despite years of research into into, into vaccines for other uh, diseases. So And why is uh, that? Why do you think, why is that? Why are they so good? Well, I think it comes on the back of 20, 30 years of, of science and research. So yeah. again, it's not that it's it's not that uh, something was rushed over a year to get yeah. us to where we are. It was simply that uh, we were we were in a fortunate position that we had got to a place in science that we we were ready to capitalize on that at this moment. Mm. I mean, if this had happened six or seven years ago, we would not have been in that position. We would not have vaccines. We would yeah. not have mRNA vaccines now. But I think all of that has led 
to a situation where we have a, we had an anti-vax movement that was gearing up uh, for probably its 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 most uh, concerted onslaught, and they found themselves to a large extent neutralised by the fact that our vaccines are so effective. Yeah. And so the only way I think they can react to that is to become more and more vocal. Yeah. Um, but we're seeing, again, I mean, again, one of the great benefits, I think, of the past year is that the majority of people in this country and internationally have learned, have learned more about science, mm. learned more about where to go for trusted information. Mm. And so we're not seeing the anti-vax movement having a, having a major impact. I mean, mm. we have we have one of the highest, if not the highest levels of vaccine confidence in this country. Mm. And I've heard, you know, there's been some commentary recently that we have higher levels of hesitancy in younger people. Mm. Uh, in fact, doesn't really, it's not really borne out by the data. So in our latest survey this week, we can see that about eight to nine out of 10 people under 35 years of age say they would get a vaccine next week mm. if it was offered to them. That's higher than, than the, res- the same response in any other age group in the country. Wow. And it's, it's more than double what it was when we started asking the question last November. Mm. So that says to me that people under 35 are listening to the, the science. They're looking, okay, they're obviously being, being bombarded by information. Uh, but within that, they, they are sifting out the trusted sources, their understanding and, and gaining a better understanding of what to trust uh, and, and what to believe. And ultimately, uh, most people seem to be uh, going with, with the truth, which is that we have really effective vaccines that are going to move us all as a society to a better place. Yeah, and I mean, of course, people are desperate as well to get back to a better place. I, I actually I had an experience in Tesco a few weeks ago. It was probably about six weeks ago now. And um, I, it's the same Tesco I always go to. And the man behind the till is always very chatty. And I actually nearly avoided his till that day because I wasn't sure if I was in the mood for the chat. <laughs> and he's always very upbeat. But I was, you know, you know yourself, you have these days where you don't really feel like talking. But he was... He was completely different that day. His demeanour was so low. He was talking, but he was talking about how his life was so boring now and all he did was go to work and go home and his wife was the same and sometimes he had his dinner in bed even because he just couldn't even be bothered to sit in the sitting room and he just really missed the pub and he missed going on holidays and he missed you know being able to he's like I'm not even a big drinker but I just miss being able to go to the pub and talk to my friends and I just felt like so heartbroken and then at the end of the conversation he said will you get the vaccine and I said oh god yeah I said I, I get it now like if you offered it to me like you, yeah. I'd let you give it to me now um, and he said, oh, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure about putting something so new in my body. And I said, well, I suppose, you know, it's not really new. I said to him kind of what, because I'm a scientist now. No, <laughs> I said, it's not really new, though. Like, it's years of research. And and he said, yeah, he said, well, I mean, I'll, I'll get it. Of course, I'll get it because, you know, I just need to get back to normal. And I actually was in the, the same Tesco last week and I overheard him speaking to someone else and he said, oh, yeah, I got my two jobs, <laughs> got my two jobs, I'm sorted. And he was just like, his whole demeanour was completely transformed. And for him, the motivation was, I need to get back to normal. I'm still scared, but I need to get back to normal. And I suppose that is a brilliant motivation for people, isn't it? It is. And, and that's why you, you asked, like, if the anti-vax movement was, you know, getting more vocal or having some success. Uh, I don't think they are. But that doesn't mean that people like that man don't have concerns. Yeah. Of course, lots of people have concerns uh, and we need to address those concerns. But I think those concerns, again, are placed within the kind of like there's lots of things you have to think about when you take a medicine. And so one of them is, is there risks associated with taking this? But the other is the benefits yeah. and, and a key benefit of 
lots of people taking this vaccine will be that we can get back to a level of normality where people like me are not being invited into studios like this because no one's really interested in what we have to say anymore. That's success. Yeah. You know, I I got criticised for this recently because I said, of course, we all want to go to the pub. Um, That's obviously not true for many people. They have other priorities which are far more important. And I understand that. But but what I mean, what I meant by that is we all have a desire for for social connection in whatever form that is, whether it's meeting with our families or extended families, whether it's going to the pub, whether it's going to a match, whether it's going to a coffee shop, whatever it is. um, I mean, the thing that this has taken away from us all has been social connection. Yeah. We all want to get back to that. We want to get back to live events, to concerts, to sporting events, uh, to nor- to what we knew as normal life. Mm. Uh, and the surest way of getting there is for as many people as possible uh, to take this vaccine when it's offered to them. Yeah. Uh, and I think most people understand that. Uh, and, and that's why I remain optimistic that mm. we'll, we will see really good uptake over the coming weeks. Um, you mentioned younger people earlier and about the fact that they seem to be very enthusiastic about the vaccine, which is super. Um, when are we going to see specifics around people under 25 being vaccinated? So, the as you know, the NIAC advice, uh, or we've been waiting for advice from NIAC, which, which has come to the department now. And so we're looking at that at the moment. And, and obviously we'll be considering that over the over the coming days. Um, but regardless of that advice, I mean, I think it's very, very well vocalised that the intention is to have offered about eight out of 10 people at first dose by the end of June. Mm. Um, given that we're doing about 250,000 vaccines a week, it's reasonable to expect then that anyone else beyond that 80% would be offered a dose in, in the first couple of weeks of July. Mm. So I think even with the delay or or even with, you know, because we don't we don't know for sure what supply we'll get in June and July of vaccines. Sure. So, so, so things could change. But I mean, I think it's reasonable. It's very reasonable to expect that anyone who wants a vaccine will be offered a vaccine by certainly the second or third week of July. OK, I'm just struck by how incredible it is to be in this place where you can say that when I think about you know where we were six months ago even yeah. you know it is remarkable and it and and it's just so wonderful that science has, has given us this opportunity and that we're looking at that and obviously I, I can only imagine how stressful the teething problems around supply were um when we first started vaccinating people from your perspective how like how what was that like again so, so, so obviously it, it captured so many headlines, but when there was teething problems around supply, that was also when incidence was really high and we had yeah. lots of probably in some ways larger concerns about the disease. I mean, at that point, you have to put those problems in the context again of where we were just a few months earlier, where mm. we didn't have any concrete expectation of having vaccines at all. Mm. Um, so, of course... The ideal scenario would have been that we could have vaccinated everyone nine months ago. Yeah. But I still think that where we are now is it, it, it really like it, it is, to my mind, unquestionably the greatest scientific achievement of my lifetime. Mm. Um, and I think I understand why people want more and more this week as opposed to next week yeah. and why a one or two week delay seems seems really impactful. And of course, it is at an individual level. Mm. But at a population level, at a population level, an extra week or two really doesn't impact. Mm. Um, what matters is that in somewhere between, you know, four, six, eight weeks time, 
everyone in this country will have had an opportunity to have had a vaccine. It's incredible. And to move on from, from, from what we've come through. And that that is incredible. And that that's... So, so like, I would have said publicly through February, through March, I would have pleaded with the media and people generally not to focus on, uh, you know, how many doses we're going to give tomorrow or how many doses we're going to give this week to focus on the fact that by the end of June, about eight, eight out of 10 people will have been offered a vaccine. That mm. That's the... That that's ultimately what we're trying to get to, yeah, uh, and to focus on the big picture rather than the day to day. Because yeah. again, like earlier, as we were talking about social media, focusing on the day to day and the current battle, whatever it mm. is that we're having and how it's getting amplified, that doesn't do anybody's mental health and well being any good. Yeah, uh, and so I suppose the timing of that, as you say, was difficult because the incidence was so high, and we were at the end of a very long period of quite severe restrictions. And I think everybody was starting to really feel the strain. I certainly know that there, you know, I, I really enjoy my job, but there were definitely weekends where I came in and I just thought, I don't know how to be upbeat today because yeah. I'm so fed up. So I, I can understand that those two things, you know, probably fed each other. But you know, as you said, we are looking at, you know, great moves, you know, towards the the majority of the population being vaccinated uh, at least with one dose in the next six to eight weeks, which is just spectacular. Um, but then what does life look like? Do we Are we going to need to be worried about variants and about viruses like this for the rest of our lives? Um, could we go back to a life where we don't have to wear masks and we don't really have to think about it? You know, what does the future look like for us? Um so I certainly hope we go back to a position where, where um, again, people like me are not in studios regularly talking yeah. about this stuff, where people are not consciously thinking about viruses and the threat they pose. I mean, that's a job for us to do in the background. And mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, over the coming years, we will see really enormous global strengthening and national strengthening, I hope, of the, the infrastructure that sits behind infectious disease surveillance and monitoring and prevention and control. Mm. Um, so I think I think we'll see, you know, big moves forward as a result of learnings from this pandemic over the coming years. Um, I think we'll get back to very close to what we would consider normality or pre-pandemic normality over the coming months. Uh, can a, vir- a variant emerge that has a significant impact? Yes, of, co- of course it can. Um but ultimately, variants can only emerge if the virus is replicating a lot yeah. and if it's out of control in a particular part of the world. And so I think a big job for all of us over the coming months is to ensure, insofar as is possible, uh, that the whole world gets vaccinated. Yeah. Um, because if, if, if we have outbreaks internationally, they will impact on us here. Yeah. But just moving on past that, will we have to wear masks? I think uh, we won't have to wear masks the way we wear them now. Certainly, um, but there may we there may be very good reasons why we would suggest to people that they wear masks in particular situations moving forward. Mm. Uh, we want people to continue washing their hands moving yeah. forward. Like there are lots of children and adults who get sick every winter because of infectious diseases. Yeah. We didn't see that in this winter just passed. Yeah, uh, and so if there are basic things that we can do, uh, like they do in other countries, um, well then I would suggest that 
at a, at the level of public health advice, I would think that would be a good thing that we'd be advising people to do to, to keep themselves and their families safe. Yeah. I mean, I don't see us overnight being like, oh, I just won't wash my hands anymore. Yeah. <laughs> or like, you know, when you think about the attitude, I think that some people had when they saw tourists from certain parts of Asia where wearing masks is commonplace and where you'd be like, oh, what are, why are they doing that? I feel like there was a bit of that attitude and I, I can see us continuing to do that. And, you know, if you're sick, to be conscious of how, I suppose we're, we're just so much better educated educated now and how illness spreads. Yeah, and it comes back to solidarity again. So wh- why do you or why in the future would you wear a mask? Well, you'd wear it if you had any symptoms of a cold or flu. Yeah. Because you don't want to give it to other people in your family. You don't want to give it to people in your community or in your workplace. Yeah. Um, so, so I think our understanding of the why has improved an awful lot over the past year. Yeah. And, and I hope that we'll take some of that good stuff forward into the future at, at a subconscious level that, you know, Certainly, I certainly hope that I hope that at a policy level, infectious diseases don't fade into the background. Yeah. But at a at a day to day individual level, I hope it's something that that, you know, people stop consciously thinking about and we move on to talk about all of the other things that we normally talk about in this country, like the weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I feel like I could have asked you a million other things, but um, we never have time. <laughs> I complain about time on this show all the time. Um, but thank you so much. Um, I hope you get to fade into the background as you, <laughs> as you seem to want to do um, soon. But I, I have a feeling that, you know, when you do start to live again in a somewhat normal way and you have a life beyond work and home, um, that I I would imagine you will have people coming up to you in the pub, on the street, uh, at a match, wherever it is that you go and hang out because, you know, you've been such a presence and you and the team have been such a presence in our lives through this. You know, you'll definitely be in reeling in the years. I don't know how you feel about that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much. That's Deputy Chief Medical Officer Ronan Glynn. Louise McSherry on 2FM.